Hello and welcome to Film Disruptors. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the show which brings you the entrepreneurs, the risk takers, the game changers who are transforming film. And my guest today is Holly Tarquini. Holly is director of the Bath Film Festival, but crucially she's also founder of F-Rated, the major new categorization initiative which looks to address this chronic gender imbalance across the industry. And Holly has just brokered this huge deal with the largest film website in the world, IMDB. And I talked to Holly about how that deal came about, how F-Rated came about and where it needs to go to next. If you want to find out more, you can check out the home of Film Disruptors, alexstoltz.com, where you can find out more about Holly and you can find out more about the other guests and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. And now I'm going to hand you over to Holly Tarquini. And I started today's conversation by asking Holly about how F-Rated came about. So the way that we program Bath Film Festival is we have a team of six or seven people who have very different taste in film, who start meeting from May to program the festival in November. And it's brilliant that their tastes are so diverse. It's what makes the festival really rich and ensures that we pretty genuinely have something for everybody in the festival. And one of the um, one of the programming team, Elspeth, in 2014 said, why don't we um, add a note to all the films that pass the Bechdel test? Because Elaine Taylor in Stockholm had been doing that at her three cinemas. So Elaine runs three cinemas in Stockholm. And in order to highlight how poorly women are represented on screen, she uh, highlighted the films which passed the Bechdel test, which I'm sure you've heard of, mm-hmm. uh, but isn't, of course, a test. It's a cartoon from 1985 by Alison Bechdel, which shows two women walking down the road, and one of them saying, do you want to go and see a movie and get some popcorn? And the other one saying, oh, I've got a rule. Films have to meet three basic criteria for me to go and see them. They have to have two women on screen who have a conversation with each other about something other than a man. And the majority of films don't pass that really basic set of criteria. They do slightly better now than they do in 1985, but not not massively. So I thought that was a brilliant idea of Elspeth's to, um, to highlight films which pass the Bechdel desk. But then in thinking about it, the thing that I really care about is also who's telling the story, not just what's going on on screen, but the brains behind that story. And so I developed the F rating, which is applied to all films which are directed by women and or written by women and or star significant women in their own right. And the main difference from the Bechdel test is that you're inc- incorporating, you know, the creation of the the, the work as well. So whether it's whether it's directed by or written by a woman as well as the content because the Bechdel test is beautifully elegant isn't it in, in lots of ways it's a very simple formula which as you say unfortunately many films or most films still don't 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 meet but 
is it to create something broader so that more films fall into it or just to give people more information? Well, it's many things. So it's partly that the Bechdel test is a nice joke and it illustrates how infrequently two women are on screen having a conversation with each other about something other than a man. Mm. But it's, it, you could easily have two people, two women on screen um, having a conversation about a parking meter and that film would pass the Bechdel test. So it doesn't tell you anything about those characters. So the third criteria of the F rating is, are there significant women, not women, on screen in their own right? Um, and the third criteria is intentionally um, debatable. So part of the purpose of the F rating is to encourage programmers of cinemas and film festivals to F rate their program. And by having the third criteria as something which people have conversations about, it amplifies the debate about what is happening on screen. How are people being represented? Are they just really basic stereotypes? Is that woman there because she's just supporting the male lead? Is she only there for the male gaze? Or is she a significant woman in her own right? And there isn't a correct answer necessarily to that question, which I'm really fine about. But there are people who care a lot about getting things right, who are quite upset by the third criteria. They want it to be something as absolute as the Bechdel test. But even, you know, what constitutes a conversation between two people? Is it two lines? Is it a line each? Uh, do they have to have six lines? So the Bechdel test is uh, is not finite either. Uh, but yes, that third criteria was very intentionally to encourage debate around who is on screen and what are they doing? And are they doing it as independent characters with agency or are they doing it to support a male lead? That's very interesting. And that's completely answered my next question, which was, is there ever any ambiguity around, uh, <laughs> around it? And that's, that's, that's fantastic, but it's actually, there's, it, it encourages debate. Off the top of your head, can you think of any films which have encouraged that debate just so we can? So sort of have an example of it. There are so many. So we recently had um, a hackathon at uh, the BFI in London. So we all got together to add um, films which passed the third criteria of the F rating. Mm -hmm. We wanted to add the keyword F rated to those films. And so there was enormous debate. And it was very interesting how uh, different people would assess films. So some people, as long as there were women in the poster, would give it an F rating, for example. Mm. And there were others where we were having very in-depth conversations about what precisely the characters did. So one of them was Moana. Uh, so Moana is the lead character in Moana, uh, but Bowie, Bowie, Maui, is the male lead and a lot of it is about him and i think the two animals that are in it although they can't speak are both male uh, but then there is Moana's grandmother, who I thought was really significant because she is the inspiration behind Moana. She's the person that gives Moana the, the courage to step out of the boundaries that have been set around her life and 
is also perceived to be the mad woman of the village, which the older woman who has insight is often portrayed to be. So I felt it really should be F-rated because of those reasons. Uh, whereas a colleague of mine felt as though the grandmother was a less significant character and because all the other characters predominantly were male, it shouldn't be F-rated. Mm. So, I mean, this is, this brings on to an interesting point. You know, when we're making decisions about films for ourselves or kids, um, do, you, do you see the F rating as being primarily for consumers or the industry? I, I, I would like for it to be about film producers, film distributors, film exhibitors and film audiences. So I would like it to really infiltrate each one of those, because you need the films to be made in the first place. Then you need the films which are made by women and about women to be picked up by the distributors who have to invest all of that money to promote it. If they don't do that, then we, the audiences, don't get to see it. Or if the uh, distributors do pick it up, but the cinemas and the film festivals don't program it, then again, we, the audiences, don't get to see it. So it, it feels as though it's something which has to um, go through every every layer of strata in order to make any kind of significant difference. You're listening to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm in conversation with Holly Tarquini of F-Rated. And in this section, Holly talks about the IMDb partnership. So there are currently around 22,000 titles on IMDb that are F-rated. That's out of over 4 million titles. So there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, But yes, you can now search um, F-rated as a keyword on IMDb and it will sort the films for you. And what's brilliant about that is it shows you the massive variety of films which are directed by women and written by women. Uh, The majority that have F-rated tagged to them are those which are directed by and written by women. Um, There are about a thousand which are tagged with F-rated because they've got significant women on screen. And there are also a growing body of films which are triple F-rated, which is our gold standard. So films which are written by women and directed by women and star significant women on screen um, are awarded the triple F-rating. Great. And and you're not... And then there's nothing... Uh, this might sound obvious, but there's nothing there about the, then the representation of women as in, because there's a big, or there is a discussion about representation and how, how women should be represented, but it's literally about presence. It is. And my favourite quote, recent quote, was at the Women of the World Festival, where I think it was Jude Kelly, who is the director of the festival, said, when there are as many mediocre women in positions of power as we currently have mediocre men, then we'll know we have equality. And the F rating doesn't mean that the film is brilliant or good or better than a film directed by a man. It simply says this film was either directed by a woman, written by a woman or stars significant women. And women have to be allowed to be as rubbish as men and unfortunately some women are as misogynist as men and also um, objectify women 
just as much as men. So it doesn't mean that the women that you see on screen aren't going to be objectified or in skimpy bikinis or have the camera lingering over their legs. So, yes, it doesn't judge the film. Mm. Objective as possible, the the analysis yeah, and you know if men can be misogynists then women should be allowed to be as well <laughs> okay <laughs> great um yay <laughs> uh so i mean what, how, so that that's obviously a very small proportion of all the films on imdb is, is that is that because it's a ongoing process i mean obviously there's going to be a a disparity anyway but is that is it a case of updating the song? What was really interesting was that when we were adding the F-rated keyword to films with significant women on screen, we were doing it by, we each took a different year, and we found that there were quite a lot to be F-rated in the most popular 50 films. By the time you got to 200, there were none. Mm. And so, which is something I, I really want to feed back to studios is that actually the less popular a film is, the less likely it is to be F rated. Okay, that's a really interesting way because I wanted to talk about uh, ROI and return on investment. So that's an interesting. Yeah, so the, the less, the less popular, the less likely it is to be F rated, or conversely, you could say that there's there's a higher chance it's going to be more successful if it has directed by a woman or has strong strong female authorial voice or or characters in there. But there was some research in 2014 which I, I imagine you you're aware of. I don't know if it's been revisited more recently, but that that showed that Bechdel Bechdel tests, and that's obviously. Mm-hmm you know, an aspect of what we're talking for. They had a higher, higher return, you know, higher bang, yeah. bang for buck. Well, so there are lots of things going on. Um, first of all, we'll, films with female protagonists do better at the box office. Right. Um, but that doesn't encourage Hollywood to make more films with female protagonists. And that's interesting because everybody assumes that Hollywood will just chase wherever the money is and, and react to it sensibly. But of course, that's assuming that there's no bias, that people aren't recruiting in their own image. Uh, and also, yeah, with directors, what's interesting is that the directors that we see on screen, and actually if you Google film director and then do a Google image search, you get about five pages of white men before you get to women. So the, what is perceived, what, what a film director is seen to be is a white man. And Hollywood still seems to believe that they, in order to be successful, what they need to do is make films for 15-year-old boys, uh, which is apparently Jaws changed everything. When Jaws came out, Hollywood recognized that 15-year-old boys were going to be the most committed, the most likely to watch the film 500 times, buy all of the merchandise and become utterly obsessed by the film, and that therefore they should predominantly be making films with a 15-year-old boy in mind. So that compounded by making films for China, which as far as American films goes, they like really big, loud budget films, um, means that Hollywood's still making big, loud, 
superhero films with male protagonists and not really noticing that films with female protagonists do better. But as far as return on investment goes, films directed by women, written by women and starring significant women have infinitely less money spent on them in the first place. So the higher the risk, the fewer women there are. So if you look at documentaries, which are the cheapest films to make, uh, the proportion of women is much greater. It's still only, I think, 20 to 30%. But by the time you get to the top 100%, it's 2% women. And they diminish all the way up like a triangle with a point at the top. So uh, it's likely that if they do well, those films will make proportionately much more money because they've cost so much less. Mm. So, for example, if you've made a film for a million pounds and then you make 15 million, your percentage that you've increased is massive. Whereas if you spend 35 million and you only get 36 million back, then your, your income profit percent is, is pathetic. So yes, female helmed films often do better and female protagonists on screen do do better but it's complicated yeah yeah it's complicated and it's it's skewed around those uh, those big the, the bigger budgets um, yeah what's interesting is if you look at so there was a brilliant do you know information is beautiful yep which is a website and a book mm-hmm. um and he does the most wonderful infographics and he's just done one about films profitability and it is very unusual for the massive budget films to break even, which is shocking. <laughs> so they are, they're such high risk and they so frequently don't make back the money that's been spent on them. You can understand why all those studios are so risk adverse when it comes to the big massive budget movies. Mm. Yeah, uh, there's definitely been a trend to move to fewer and more quotes safer um, products um, from from a studio they're definitely definitely producing a lot less movie a lot less mid-range as you might call it where you, you might have more uh, more in uh, more thoughtful stories or more interesting <laughs> stories well it's also, it's also um, in the states I don't think they've got a body like we have the BFI or Sweden has the Swedish Film Institute who publicly fund filmmaking. So I think, and I could be wrong, but I, th- I believe that uh, the USA is all private investors. So whereas the UK uh, can influence who makes the films and who the films are about by via public funding, the US can't. So I'm sure you know about Anna Serna, who was is the head of the Swedish Film Institute. And when she got the position, she said that within, I think she said within 10 years, she would be giving 50% of all public funding for films to female directors. So 50% men, 50% women. And she actually achieved it in about two years. She's She's an amazing woman. And she did it despite 
massive criticism, despite huge amounts of people saying this is quotas, it's a film should be a meritocracy, you should, if you're good, then you should get the money, and if you're not good, you shouldn't get the money, it shouldn't be about gender, all those kind of old 1980s arguments about equality. And she said, no, this is what I'm doing, I'm giving them 50%. Um, and as soon as she did, the films did better at film festivals, and they won more awards. So, uh, brilliantly she has set an example for the whole of the rest of Europe and Australia and Canada have both also committed to 50% funding for women for female directors from public funding so there is there are financial ways that we could in the UK if we wanted to uh, encourage more female directors and make the playing field a lot more level yeah there's there's clearly a big role for public funding in that space um could I make a good case for market failure in terms of how how it hasn't allowed um more female talent uh, behind the camera to uh, to come through and the BFI i have obviously introduced um their much more um specific guidelines on that in terms of their, yeah. their funding the BFI's diversity, so they had a tick system. So if you applied for funding, you had to have a certain number of ticks. Originally, those ticks could be women who were doing makeup and costume, which are the only roles in film where women outnumber men. So they, they, they could be doing a lot better. They are now doing a lot better, and they've just um, appointed a new head of diversity. So there are high hopes for the future of the BFI and, and their campaigns for equality. Mm. I want to know more about how you managed to broker this deal with the, I'm going to say, the largest film internet platform in the world. I say that without having the stats, but it must be, it must be up it's, there. It is. No, it's definitely. It's yeah. one of the top 40 websites in the world. It yeah. has, I think, 125 million unique viewers a month. It's it's ridiculous, IMDb. It's yeah. so massively massive. Yeah. It's, it's um, extraordinary, and, and now, and now, if you're watching it on Amazon, you can all that great rich data can just be you can you can access it throughout throughout the film. It's very very powerful, and I think they're really just starting to unleash the full the full potential of all that data and and obviously all the all the users. But yeah, tell me about how that came about with Efrated. Well, the CEO of IMDb, Cole Needham, is a good friend of Bath Film Festivals and has always been very supportive of the F rating. Um, so, yes, I, it's, it's all a bit of a dark art, what has actually gone on. And, uh, yeah, um, uh, there's not that much that I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's, um, it's, it's conversations behind closed doors and, uh, and good old-fashioned networking. Uh, broadly, yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, it's an, it's an amazing, it's an amazing achievement. And so the, where, where to, you know, from here on, on the F rating, where, how, how do you, what is the next level for it to go? And what do you need in order to take it back? So, yeah, so the F rating was born in 2014. In 2015, we invited all the independent cinemas and film festivals in the UK to F rate their own programs, and dozens of them joined. Uh, recently, the Barbicans joined, which is fantastic, and Borderlines Film Festival, which is a 
an amazing festival that runs down the border of Wales. Um, they are F rating their programs. So we are, uh, it, that is an open invitation to all cinemas and film festivals to F rate their program. And the more it is used, the more helpful it becomes to audience members because they will understand what it is. So that's an ongoing project to encourage as many film exhibitors as possible to F rate their program. And as I said, it also it amplifies debates among programmers about what's going on on screen uh, and whether there is any kind of equality going on on screen. Um, there's also, so the first film festival in the States to adopt it is, uh, I can't remember its proper name, it's in San Francisco, I think it's called Green Festival. So they've just adopted their program. Uh, and obviously, America is so fast compared to the UK. We're so itty bitty um, on the, on the world scale when it comes to numbers of people. Uh, so if it takes off in America, that would be amazing. There's a couple of organisations in France and other places in Europe who are interested in F rating their program as well. Uh, so yes, so exhibitors F rating their program would be fantastic. It would be amazing to get some distributors interested so that they were marketing their films as F rated films. So seeing the benefit of the fact, for example, that more women than men buy tickets to cinemas and that that could be um, something which would highlight Films. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because F-rated films are films for everybody. They're not just films that women would be interested in, but it could be something which helps to market a film. Yeah. So it would be amazing for some distributors to F-rate their programs. And what would be amazing is if somebody could fund the F-rating, because at the moment it has no income whatsoever. It was never conceived as... A business or a money-making venture. It was only ever seen to be a campaign to help promote women in film. Uh, but it is taking up a huge amount of my time when I should be running Bath Film Festival. So I'm looking into ways at the moment of raising enough money to get an assistant that could work on the F rating part-time. Uh, so yes, so there's, I'm talking to various people about some special events, uh, some conversations with amazing women in film um, and that kind of thing with sponsorship to help fund a an assistant. Mm. Well, yeah, certainly the amount of coverage you have had um, since it started and since the IMDb partnership, I imagine all of those interviews alone are taking up quite a lot of, of time, which is, which is, you know, it's amazing that there's been this reception and I think that really shows that there is a people want to have that debate and want to have that conversation I mean the figures are so skewed it's not like we're talking a small proportion or it's only slightly wavered in favor of men I mean you know this is from 2015 I think this is the last stats of BFI released but in that year out of all the UK UK films and this is this is in the UK where we do have the public funding. Uh, only less than 10% of, uh, films were directed by, uh, a woman and the, and the, 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 the writing was slightly higher, less than 15%. So it's, there's a shocking disparity that anyone, I think, uh, can recognize. And so this, this, you know, the, the opportunity to have this debate, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. 
You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Holly Tarquini of F-Rated. And in this final section, Holly provides her advice for emerging storytellers and also talks about representation and how there's often a huge disparity between the stories on screen and the realities in our society. It's the most shocking of statistics that mm. illustrates how skewed things are on screen, isn't it? Which is that, um, unsurprisingly, 90% of single parents in America are women. But on American screens, 90% of single parents are dads, which is 100% wrong. Mm. So it, it's really really shocking mm-hmm. and yeah it shows how dedicated to the man's story mm-hmm. cinema is and yeah. then that's the most famous or one of the most famous of uh of single dads on screen which is Mar- marlin uh nemo's dad in finding nemo and in that film, they, they were absolutely meticulous in their research. So they took the whole team scuba diving to see what coral looked like underwater and to see how fish looked through water. And, and in fact, I think they went back and their images that they created were so good. They didn't look like a cartoon. So they had to make them a bit worse. So it looked like a cartoon. But the thing that they didn't include in the film is that all clownfish are born male. They become female to give birth. And if that female dies, then the top male clownfish transitions to become a woman to take care of the young. So Finding Nemo should be a story about a trans woman looking for her son. <laughs> well, there, there, there you go. I mean, it's, it's just so that sort of that disparity on screen is, is such a, um, it's just very misleading, isn't it? And, uh, and also, and creatively lazy. It becomes this, it's, it's a cliche. I mean, I look, I mean, I'm not saying it's not, you know, there's obviously clearly single male, uh, you know, parents out there, but this is this cliche of this often sort of high performing male single parent. I can think of, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of a dozen films which, which, ha- which have that. And, uh, it's just really interesting to see the, the actual stats behind it. And it's not just stereotyping and lazy, which would be bad enough. It influences the people that watch it. So when after Brave and Hunger Games came out, for example, there was a massive increase in America of young girls taking up archery. And when there were suddenly lots of women as forensic scientists on television screens, there was a 75% increase in women applying to be forensic scientists at university. So it's not just, oh, isn't it a shame that it's, you know, the women are all about emotion and how they look and the men are all about power and what they do. It also influences what we think we can do, who we think we are, how we relate to other people, and ultimately the inner narratives that we create in our own minds about our own lives. Holly, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. Um, I just wanted to ask you uh, just a, a question which I ask all my guests, which is to, uh, in your role as a festival director, you clearly see a lot of, uh, you know, you see, see a lot of films coming to you. What advice would you give to 
an emerging storyteller, someone who is looking, wants, wants to create work, wants to, um, wants to make a film uh, or tell a story, what would you, what advice would you give them in terms of realizing that vision? God, there's so, so I feel like there's so much advice, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, I think predominantly the people that achieve it are the optimists who never give up. Uh, so that's not to say that they, you know, believe so much that they can do it, that they do it, but they, because it doesn't floor them when they're rejected again and again and again, they will keep doing it and keep being rejected. Um, and I think there's a lot of, of truck in that. Uh, I, I don't think it's true, but I do think the 10,000 hours of practice, uh, has resonance. The more you do something, the better you tend to get at it. So yeah, so not giving up and just continuing to tell stories through film, through writing, and being utterly tenacious about it, which is all very well to say. But, you know, if you've got to put dinner on the table, get the kids to bed, make some money to buy school shoes, then there's not a lot of hours left in the day necessarily for you to be telling your stories. So I think I think the advice to keep doing it no matter what is all well and good. And unless you are, you know, a working class woman with kids, not very much money and without the connections that being born into a media family would give you. So, yeah, I think partly at the moment being being born in the right family in the right part of the world is probably going to benefit you the most in becoming a filmmaker, depressingly. But that's what we want to change. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think, you know, through, through F rating and increasing this, increasing dialogue and and ultimately affecting change affecting change in how stories are told and who's telling them it will open will open doors to more people and that's 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 wonderful um so congratulations how do how do how do we find out more about f-rated how does a cinema find out about how they could incorporate it into their into their programming and yeah yeah how, and and how do people find you holly so uh f rate f-rated.org is the f-rated website and on there is a page of all the people who do currently f-rate their programs and also quite a useful page of other people who are campaigning to help promote promote women in film and there are also contact details on there and links to our facebook page and our twitter feed Great. Well, Holly, thank you again for joining us and very best of luck with continued success on F-Rated. Thank you very much. If you'd like to find out more, check out the home of Film Disruptors, alexstoltz.com, that's S-T-O-L-Z, where you can download today's show notes, sign up for updates and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon.